Hi guys, I just wanted to hop on really quick before this episode and give a quick trigger warning. Um, This episode centers around pregnancy and birth, and so there is conversation about miscarriages, pregnancy loss, abortion, trauma, um, depression, and postpartum mental disorders. There's also a little bit of talk about racial trauma, and then we also chat about sexual assault and sexual violations, but there is a warning prior to that conversation in the audio. So it's timestamped kind of within the audio. Um, I also just wanted to say, if you saw the title of this and thought, I'm not a birthing person, I'm not a, I'm not a parent, I, my friends aren't really having kids yet, I don't want to have kids, et cetera, et cetera, and you think this episode might not really be beneficial for you to listen to, I would really encourage anyone and everyone to listen to this episode. Um, the reason why I wanted to have a doula on in the first place is because the podcasts that I really like to listen to started having doulas and birth workers on their podcasts. And I learned so much about birth, so much about, um, postpartum and how much that actually affects someone and families. And, um, I just think it's really beneficial, especially with, uh, kind of the theme of this podcast is obviously being mindful and intentional, but, also being empathetic and learning about other people's human experiences so that you can just give them more grace and more empathy in the way that they live their lives. And I think that this episode sheds a lot of light on that and um, can help you just learn how to support birthing people, families who have recently welcomed someone into their life and be able to support them better and just empathize with them more. And then also we bring up some social issues and some social justice issues that I think are very important to be aware of, even if you're someone who has never given birth, does not want to give birth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so I would encourage you to listen to this episode. Um, it's a really good one. I hope you enjoy. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. So today we are going to be talking about doula work and birth work with Davina. Hi, how are you today? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, So I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of space to chat about uh, what you do, what your work looks like, and kind of your background in that, and even how you got into this field of work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Davina Simmons. Um, I go by she, they pronouns. And I am originally from Tongvalan, also known as Los Angeles, California. And I've lived um, on unceded Duwamish territory, which is Seattle, Washington, for the last eight years. Um, I spent about 10 years working in uh, higher education, doing crisis intervention and um, counseling work with college students. And um, after some time, decided it was time for me to go, time for me to move into something else. Um, And I really had a fascination with, you know, supporting folks at the thresholds of life. And I think college students especially have these four formative years of or four or more formative years um, of decision making, life changes, shifting in autonomy, understanding autonomy. um, And it's really a really transformational time. And so. I knew that I wanted to still do work that really had required me to meet it with intensity um, and also with integrity. And um, I had a good friend who had a baby um, and I was asking her to tell me her birth story because I'd always been always been obsessed with pregnant people. Like I've always like just really been fascinated by the body, by babies. I've always been really good with babies. And so 
when my friend was telling me her birth story, she stopped in the middle of it and she said, you would be a really good doula. And I was like, what the hell is a doula? Like, I had no idea what a doula was. Um, And so I looked it up and put it off because I was like, I don't want to do any trainings right now. I'm burned out. I'm tired. Um, And in the course of three years between that moment and me finally deciding to become a doula, I was meeting midwives on airplanes and sitting next to them. I was meeting doulas in random places. Um, And then one day on the massage table, my massage therapist and I were talking about doula work somehow. And she said, oh, I was going to take a doula train, but I can't. Do you want to take my spot? And I just finally was like, okay, I'll do it. Like, I just finally felt like the universe was like, so if I, if I just yeah. like put it in your lap, will you do it? <laughs> right, right. When everything falls together like that, it's a little of a slap mm-hmm. in the face of like, okay, yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, that was in 2016 and I got trained um, by Cornerstone um, Doula Training. That's what they were called at the time. Now they're just Cornerstone. Um, and, uh, it was a mom and a daughter that trained doulas out of their apartment in the sunset district of San Francisco. Um, and so I, uh, got trained, moved back up to Seattle and, um, in between 2016 and 2018, I was still working at another job, but was like, you know, moving towards doula work eventually. And then my mom died in 2018. And when she died, um, we were very, very close. And when she died, I was having some existential conversations with myself about what I was doing with my life and what I wanted to be doing with my life. And, um, and then someone called me and asked me if I could come to their birth. They were due in two weeks and they needed a doula. And I said, let's do it. And so, um, that (laughs) became the beginning of, uh, what has now been three and a half years of the best job I've ever had. Um, I've supported over 90 families in the Puget Sound um, from birth, postpartum um, to loss to abortion. So like all the things that you could think of in the reproductive journey, I've been able to walk alongside people in that process um, over the last three and a half years. And it's been the best thing ever. I love that. It's always been something that, well, not always, I'll correct myself on that. Pretty recently within the past few years, it's been something that I've been really interested and I've even kind of started to do research into if that's a career path that I'd like to take. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love the description of the the threshold of life thing because Mm -hmm. I relate a lot on that. I I love like those milestones in, in life and I love like working with those types of populations, whether that's a kiddo hitting a specific like developmental stage or Mm -hmm. someone in their healing journey going through a specific milestone in their healing journey. Like I love the, like the the thresholds Mm -hmm. and I think that's a really great way of putting it. But for those who maybe have never actually heard what a doula is, what they do, how everything works. I think that there Mm -hmm. is kind of this stigma and I don't think it's as um, pronounced now, but for a really long time of like, okay, well, there's only doulas and midwives and natural births and home births. And like, you know, it's, it's this kind of like granola thing that, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody wants to get into. And I think that that's not only a gross misconception and misunderstanding, but I think it, for anyone who is thinking of potentially even adopting a kiddo or birthing a kiddo, that 
knowing what a doula is and what they do and how they may be able to help and support you is really important if that's something that you're even remotely interested in or if you're if you come across something where you have a pregnancy or you have a loss that you weren't expecting knowing that you can find a support person is so important so what what is a doula give us a little <laughs> bit of a, a crash course here absolutely so uh, historically, doula uh, means servant, and um, that role was um, tended to folks who were having babies. And so a birthing person having a baby would have um, one or multiple people um, around the bedside to assist them emotionally during labor, physically during labor, um, and logistically. So think of it almost in some ways like kind of like a birth event planner. Um, But then also now we fast forward to modern day, the society we live in now, um, and doulas are advocates. So doulas are advocates in the hospital. If you're having your baby in the hospital, um, they're going to help you advocate with your care provider. And so making sure that um, you're being heard, making sure that you understand what your care provider is saying, understanding that uh, helping you understand the nuances of um, some of the language that care providers use. So what's the difference between like a medical recommendation and something that you have options and choices versus like an emergency and you don't have a choice right now? Um, And this is really in particular important for communities that are marginalized and particularly the black and indigenous communities um, and our native communities that um, have a higher mortality rate than um, those folks who are not of those identities um, and specifically those people who are not white. Um, So or those people who are white, I'm sorry. Um, And so doulas really offer um, kind of a wide swath of support. So um, a modern day doula would be able to give you emotional support during your labor um, or during your abortion, during your miscarriage or loss um, or during the postpartum time. Um, They give you physical support during abortions, miscarriages or during labor. Um, So offering a lot of ways for opportunities for comfort or ways to kind of help you um, really cope with the intensity of birth. Um, And they also help partners. So if there's a partner who is in the picture with someone who is laboring and having a baby, um, they support the partner, too, because that is also an emotional experience to watch the person you love be in in the throes of labor and um, be in the midst of that kind of intensity. Um, And doulas also provide, again, um, the informational support. So really helping you understand what your options are with your care provider, um, what the risks and the benefits might be, helping you to remember to even ask that question when you're getting a medical recommendation, Um, being a sounding board when you have to make hard decisions or there's kind of like forks in the road in your labor um, that are unpredictable. And no birth is the same and every birth has a curveball, no matter what people say. Um, And then doulas also provide support during the postpartum time, which is one of the largest adjustments. Um, Studies show that it takes a birthing person one to three years to adjust to becoming a parent. And so um, in the very beginning of that time, it's really formative because I tell clients when your baby is born, you are too. And so not only do you have a newborn, but you're like a newborn. Um, You're very disoriented. You're adjusting to this new environment. You're recalibrating. There is this infant that needs you, but you also need support because you can't take care of yourself. Um, And so it really is helping people understand um, how to move from independence, like that hyper independence that this country really pushes on us when we're growing up and when we're being socialized to moving towards interdependence. So understanding what it means to move back towards like our ancestral ways of knowing and being, which was in community. Um, So 
in community in our ancestral times, right? Like our ancestors were not doing this all alone. Allo parenting, that two parenting model, um, two person parenting model, it didn't exist. Like the community raised the baby, right? And so um, doulas really help usher people through that process. And doulas also support people who are miscarrying, who've experienced loss or who are terminating a pregnancy. Um, any person who has been pregnant and no longer has a baby in the womb, no matter the outcome, whether that's a live baby or a baby who is dead, um, is in a postpartum body. And so doulas really help people understand what type of care they need to help nourish them, to help witness them um, for that nervous system downregulation that needs to occur, um, and for someone to really have a full um, have full ownership of the experience that they've just gone through, whether that was by their choice or not. And so a lot of people, I want to just say this, um, a lot of people think that abortion is um, not a form of pregnancy loss, but it is. Um, whether you're choosing to terminate or you have to terminate for medical reasons, um, it is a pregnancy loss. And the emotions that come with a, having an abortion um, are varied, just like any other experience, right? For some people, there's relief. For some people, there's grief. For some people, it's both. Um, so really speaking to the dualities of what pregnancy and the reproductive journey um, and experience is, um, is really important. And so I just like to add that caveat in because a lot of people think, why would someone need, you know, a doula for a termination or an abortion? And I'm like, because your body just went through a significant event <laughs> and um, and it requires healing. So um, that's what doulas right. do. That was a really long answer. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's a that's a great answer. No. Yeah. And I think that. Um, it's so important to advocate for, you know, reproductive rights and for the choice to terminate if that's a choice. But, um, at the same time, you, you do need to hold space for the emotions and the experience that that might, uh, envelop and mm -hmm. that there's a, sometimes a lot of emotions that come with that. And it also, like you said, any experience that any person goes through, is going to be different from the person that another person that went through it because your body, mm -hmm. even when we're talking about like trauma, your body literally is your brain decides whether or not it's trauma. And so it might be trauma for one person and it might not be trauma for the next. And so mm -hmm. kind of having, I'm sure it's so important to have that um, space to be able to, even I think it's so important, even when we're fighting for those rights and we're, fighting for that to become more normalized and to become more spoken about, to still hold that space and hold the grace and the comfort for if it is something that you need to grieve through, if it is something that you need to, you know, really process through that, if it was a trauma for you and to not, I think there can even be shame sometimes in more liberal communities sometimes where it's like, oh, like, it was your right. And it's like, well, yes, but like, let's also hold space for the emotions that may accompany that because there might be a lot of emotions that come with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I, I was not aware that, uh, doulas, uh, helped with abortion support. And that, that makes complete sense. <laughs> like <laughs> That makes complete sense that like anything else in life, that is a significant event and it is a significant event involving your reproductive organs and your reproduction system. And it makes sense that that would be something that would be kind of under the umbrella of doula work. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I kind of wanted to hone in on, maybe we can take it piece by piece a little bit on starting with just the support aspect. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what are some ways that doulas would support a birthing person in a, um, like during a pregnancy or during postpartum or during labor? What are some like specific ways that you would go in to support and to help? Sure. Yeah. So prenatally, while the birthing person is pregnant, um, usually we have two visits. One, we talk all about birth. And the second, we talk about postpartum and preparation for that. Um, The way that a doula would support someone prenatally is usually with a lot of information. So pregnant people um, receive a lot of unsolicited advice when people just see their bellies. um, And it can be really invasive, like, and really... Um, really hard to hold boundaries with people who are giving you information that you didn't ask for. Um, And sometimes things come up prenatally in pregnancy with your care providers where you have to make some decisions. Like you have to think about um, maybe you get risked out of home birth. So you have to now have your baby in the hospital um, and maybe, or maybe you um, have to make some decisions as soon as the baby is born um, that you're now, that you now are aware of, but you want more information about. So doulas really help to provide um, informational support by sending you resources and referrals um, and helping you get connected within the community to understand um, and better have a sense of what your options are. Doulas also, not, and all doulas are different, so they might do this differently, but a lot of doulas will also help you navigate conversations with your care provider. So helping you, um, if you're having a hard time or you're not, or you're feeling really challenged by a care provider, a doula might say like, well, maybe you need to change care providers. Because a lot of people don't know that that's their option. Or maybe you were planning to have a hospital birth and you're like, I'm actually low risk and I don't feel comfortable having a baby in the hospital anymore. And doulas can say, well, maybe we can talk about out of hospital birth and let's help you find a care provider. So doulas really are the ushers, right? So they like really offer that um, the sounding board and they help people understand what their options are, because if you don't know what your options are, you don't have any. So um, right. A doula who is um, well connected and who has um, vetted care providers in the community will be able to kind of assist folks in that in that work um, or at least lead them towards that place. Right. Is that often like would you kind of term that as it, just like having someone kind of on your team of, or mm-hmm. in your corner of there's someone that's mm-hmm. just kind of along with you walking through it with you? Yeah. So um, a doula's job is to have no agenda for any client. A doula's job is to um, provide non-biased um, and non-judgment, unbiased and non-judgmental support. So um, I'm never going to say, I think you should do this, or I think you should do this. Do this. I'm going to say, here are the risks of this decision. Here are the benefits of this decision. And some people might say, well, what do you think? And I usually say, I'm not going to share what I think. I'm going to tell you what I've seen happen. And we're going to hold that that is not going to be necessarily your outcome. But like, if this helps you in terms of making your decision, like I'm going to share this with you. Um, And so I tell people when they're interviewing me that I'm not here to um, intervene in between like a partner and a birthing person or become, you know, a decision maker with them. That's not my job. I'm a guide on the side. That's what I say. Um, Just like you would. (laughs) Yeah. Just like if you were like, going on vacation and you plan this epic hike, like you might hire a guide to help you traverse that path. Um, that's right. Literally right. What but it's not is. their job to say, yeah, it's not that it's not the guide's job on a hike to be like, well, I think that you should eat this snack. And I think yeah. that this is the drink that you should drink. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, but a doula might say a beverage that's really helpful in labor is coconut water because it has electrolytes for energy. So, right. and you also can make your own birth labor aid if you want to. So like, 
we really help to say, what is the experience that you hope to have in your birth? And let me show you how we can get as close as we can to that. Holding that all of our expectations need to be low because none of that right. could happen. Right. Like, right. so really helping people feel into um, what their options are and what, what birth can be, but also help, helping people hold the reality that most of the time, the way they envision their birth is not the way it goes. Right. So, right. yeah. And I mean, I think it, I'd love to even narrow in on um, kind of the advocate portion and the, the options, because mm-hmm. I think there's a weird, weird, weird dynamic. I don't know if this is just in the U S but I'll speak specifically in the U S when it comes to medical providers, there seems to be this assumption that you don't have autonomy in that. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of taught that you don't have autonomy in that. And you're kind of taught that like what a doctor says goes. And there's a lot of things that like, you don't know that you have choices in or that you could even say, Hey, I actually think like, can we do this? I remember even in a simple, simple, simple situation, like a normal annual exam. I was unaware that I could ask to not be told my weight. I didn't want to be told my weight. I'm recovering from an eating disorder. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I read it online and I was like, are you kidding me? I could have just been asking to like turn around on the scale and like not see it. And I was just like, okay, duh. Like that makes sense. Cause I have, it's my appointment, but it was just like, it was kind of mind blowing to me. And even in Mm -hmm. like a gynecological exam, having, you know, asking, Hey, can you narrate what's happening? Can you, um, Mm -hmm. can you ask for consent before Mm -hmm. you do X, Y, Z? And I know from what I've heard in a lot of birthing situations, a lot of the times, um, when you're in labor and your emotions are heightened and you, your thoughts and your mind is not focused on necessarily let me advocate for myself. A lot of the time it's focused on hi, I'm in labor. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the times there can just be decisions made for you or all of a sudden someone's touching you or someone is providing some sort of invasive, you know, procedure or check or whatever. And there was no consent. There was no, mm-hmm. Hey, may I do this? Hey, da, 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 da. So how do you come in both in a prenatal situation where you're just kind mm-hmm. of trying to help provide options and then also in the thick of it where there may be, you know, things happening that, and you're trying to advocate and intervene and say, hang on, how, like, how does that work? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give a, tr- a trigger or a content warning. We're going to talk about sexual assault. Um, there, um, typically in prenatal visits, I gather information about my clients to understand their history um, because anyone who's experienced any type of um, vi- sexual violence or assault, um, incest, anything like that in, in childhood or in life period, um, likely will have that trauma come up in their birth. Um, mostly because when a baby's head is in your pelvis, um, and, uh, pressing on all of the emotional buttons that the pelvis holds because our hips hold trauma and hold emotions and hold grief. Right. right. Um, when, when a baby is there and and is producing that amount of intensity, um, it can really trigger someone into the experience that they might've had prior, no matter how much work they've done around it or how little work they've done around it. Um, being hooked up to monitors or IVs or um, anything like that in the hospital and not having free range of movement can also trigger some of those um, 
those memories and those sensations of feeling like you can't escape a situation. So prenatally, when I'm gathering this information about clients and whatever they disclose to me, because that's their choice, right? Um, Right. It helps me frame the conversations that we're going to have about birth. It helps me understand um, how to um, communicate with our care providers, how to communicate with the nurse they might have that day, um, especially if we're in the hospital and that nursing staff changes every 12 hours and the provider staff changes every 12 hours. Um, And so it really helps me understand um, how to communicate with those with those folks. But also I might not be at their birth. Right. I might be at another birth. I might be in an accident. I might be sick. And so I'm also talking to my clients about I'm not here to change the way your birth is going to happen. I'm here to help you understand um, how to make sure that this experience is positive. And a part of that is the self-advocacy piece. A part of that is understanding what questions you can ask. And so. There's an acronym that we teach clients. It's the BRAIN acronym. And it's anytime a provider comes to you with a recommendation, with anything, and you can do this in your prenatal appointments, or you can do this, your partner can do this, or your support person can do this in your labor. Um, You ask the questions, what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What does my intuition say? And what happens if I say no? So that can really... Yeah. So that that acronym can really help people. And you can use that acronym when you're navigating appointments now, not being a pregnant person. like Right. Um, or even just life, even just trying to yeah. sit there and navigate cost, you know, cost risk sure. analysis just in an everyday situation. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, again, it's it's really about like strategy. We're talking about strategy, but then we're also talking about like the tenderness of labor. And we're talking about um Things like, you know, letting clients know you don't have to do a cervical exam in labor if you don't want to. But if you're going to have your baby in the hospital, they usually want to do it to admit you because they don't want to admit you at one centimeter because that could be like days in the hospital versus like six centimeters when it's hours or or days. You know, sometimes that happens too. Um, but helping people understand what their options are. And I think the biggest piece of doula work for me particularly that I really strive for is body literacy because when you're pregnant there's so many things happening in your body that have never happened before and then you go into labor to like evict this baby out of your body and there's like (laughs) even more that you like don't understand is happening and so doulas can really help to normalize and like affirm like yeah, there's blood. Yes, that's a lot of mucus. Yes, that's a lot of fluid. Yes, that like pain in your in your sacrum is your baby moving lower in your pelvis. Yes, that pressure on your labia is your baby, like your baby's head potentially crowning, like really helping people understand what's happening to them. Because um, a lot of people, uh, the way that we, we frame sometimes birth is like, a birth isn't happening like to you, it's your body doing this work. And so when we can like change our frame of mind when we're experiencing intensity in our body and think it's just your body, there's nothing happening to you externally, um, it can really help people trust more and help people surrender more, which allows for right. a baby to come out. <laughs> right. So. And it would it would make mm-hmm. sense that having that awareness, I mean, for me personally, I don't know if this is how everyone's brain works, but I know it's how mine works. I thrive when I have uh, awareness and uh, information of what is happening in my body that's causing me to feel certain ways. Um, That was like the biggest pivotal turning point in my healing journey from trauma was just like 
hey, you might be experiencing this uh, tightness in your chest or this, you know, stomach pain or this X, Y, Z because of this emotional trauma. And -hmm. it really helps connect the dots and it does help with mindfulness and with being present in your body of just being able to also kind of come alongside your body as a friend and Mm -hmm. not as this villain and Mm -hmm. to understand the logistics and the reasoning behind what's happening Mm -hmm. Um, so it would make sense that that would be really beneficial in a birth scenario. I mean, I've seen, um, you know, even, even the way that media portrays birth, you see it all just happening so fast and there is no, Hey, let's, let's, I'm sure there's, there's no like, (laughs) Hey, let's chat about what's happening. Oh, Hey, you're experiencing this pain because of this, or, you know, it's just, it's all so quick and it's all so intense and there's really very little communication to the person giving birth. They're Mm -hmm. just, it's just happening. Um, And I'm sure that a lot of the times, because a lot of what media portrays is what humans then assume is what is reality, even though it's often not. Um, Like, I remember as a kid, like, birth always really scared the shit out of me because it was like, Mm -hmm. that looks terrifying. Like, everyone's screaming. No one's talking to the person everyone is it looks very overwhelming <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's there's no support the partner looks really stressed out like it's just mm-hmm. like it's like this, this is a nightmare and i'm sure that there are you know situations where it's very stressful very high intensity and can get really overwhelming and really chaotic but i'm sure that it's very helpful to have someone who even someone like you who's removed from the situation where you don't have this like um emotional you're you're not the partner. Mm-hmm. You're not the person giving birth. You are this like side party that is unbiased that can be kind of this calming presence of like I know everything's going crazy but like how can we work through this? And I'm sure that mm-hmm. that's very calming as well to have someone on the side that doesn't have the same, you know, emotional weight in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think um you know, birth is birth is everything, right? Like it's it can be calm and quiet and beautiful and peaceful. It can be disgusting and full of poop and blood and um, intense and crazy. Like it can be all of those things. And and sometimes there isn't there isn't space to be like, this is normal. What's happening to you is normal because someone like is so in it, like so in it that they can't even hear you. But like what is the most important is that one, a birthing person has the care team of their choice with them. Two, that they feel safe with that care team and they trust that care team. And three, that um, that they're heard and that they're listened to. And I, um, to kind of help continue that thread of the question you asked, like a lot of times um, people prepare so much for the birth that they forget about like, oh, you actually have to take this baby home and keep it alive. And um I really put an emphasis on postpartum, the postpartum time, because it fucks people up. Like the postpartum time fucks people up. First, because people think, one, that they um, are not going to be impacted by sleep deprivation. Two, they think that their baby is going to sleep like an adult is going to sleep eight hours. And three, they don't anticipate challenges. They don't anticipate the challenges that come with basically even just feeding your baby. Um, And so much of 
how a baby's life begins. The foundation of their life is those early weeks and months of postpartum time. And you have these parents who didn't plan, didn't put their supports in place, didn't prepare well, and are tired, are stressed, are angry and resentful. All normal things to feel in postpartum, no matter how prepared you were. Um, but really, like, the postpartum time is the time where I'm like, we need to get clear about a plan. We need to get clear because the one thing we can't anticipate is how this baby is going to be born. We can't anticipate if right. your baby is going to need to be resuscitated when they're born and spend three days in the NICU. And so you're having breastfeeding or body feeding issues because your baby wasn't there to stimulate your breath. Right. right. Or, or your chest. And so um, I think what and even the emotional like aspect of that as well of leaving a kiddo in the NICU. Sure. And I mean, not even just that, like, but like the grief, the the all encompassing grief that comes with a healthy baby or a sick baby. Like right. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I, I tell people we think in, in America, we believe that we are going to be the exception to any kind of warning. And I tell everyone no person exits the postpartum time unscathed. No couple, right. no birthing person, no caregiver, no person leaves those zero to three months of postpartum like shiny and new. And um, <laughs> those are also those are the the pivotal and monumental times in a new parent's life because so much of the information and feedback that they're receiving about how they're parenting um, can really impact all of the the work they haven't done in the past to like process their own shit, right? A baby will right. bring all of that up. A crying baby and you've had two hours of sleep and you're hungry, you're stinky, you haven't left the house in two weeks, um, that's, that's bound to trigger some stuff. And so... Um, doulas specifically support people in the postpartum time by helping to keep people's shit together at least functionally in the house like laundry taking out trash meal prepping feeding you making sure your water bottle is full all the things that you could do for yourself if you had eight solid hours of sleep a night but you don't right um right. A, a birthing person's um, in the first year of a baby's life, a birthing person's sleep deficit is 750 hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, when we think about that, right? Like, that is drastic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And people think that they're going to be functioning optimally. And people think, like, they don't they don't have the ears to conceptualize it. And I've had so many clients who I've, like, gone to see it, like, two or three weeks postpartum pull me aside like usually it's a partner a male partner who has been like I'm so sorry that I underestimated what you told us <laughs> and I'm like I like I don't even want you to say that because like I already know that people don't believe what I'm saying and that people can't right. conceptualize it until they're in it but the people who heed that wisdom and the people who like really get their supports in place they're not unscathed but they're usually like falling apart at least gently Versus like right. a train and crash, they're they're right? better prepared. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're better prepared. So and from a I logistical also, standpoint, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I I don't even know that it's like they're better prepared. I think they're just emotionally reinforced. Like it's they're oh, so like they're so it's been normalized. Like the chaos and the 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 um the turbulence of the postpartum time. I've it, it I've normalized it enough for them to, for them to be like this isn't crazy. 
this is just really hard. And like, this is really hard. And it's okay that it's really hard. It's okay that I feel a little off today. It's okay that I resent my baby. It's okay that I resent my partner. It's okay that I'm grieving the life I used to have. All of that is normal. Like, that's the conversation I'm trying to have with people prenatally where I'm like, it's going to be okay for you to feel all those things. Yeah. Right. So that that's not a shock to you when you feel it. You you think, oh, I was told I might feel this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. from a logistical standpoint, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Is that you in their house on a daily basis? Is that mm-hmm. check-ins on a weekly basis? Um, I, Are you on call? How does that work in being able to yeah. support them on more of a logistical standpoint, like you said, like with laundry, with food, how does that mm-hmm. work? Yeah. So for postpartum doulas, what that usually looks like is um, shift work. And so some postpartum doulas work on like a minimum of two days a week where they might do like a three to five hour shift or um, some postpartum doulas do overnight shifts. So they'll go in at like 8 p.m. and put the parents to bed take the baby and bring the baby in when the baby needs to be fed. And then while the parents are sleeping and the baby's sleeping, they might be doing laundry. They might be cooking. They might be cleaning, uh, light cleaning. So they might just be like resetting the house, right? So that people can wake up the next morning to something other than chaos. Um, Having gotten some sleep. Yeah. I mean, four to five hours for a postpartum parent, four to five hours of sleep is so protective against PMADs, which are... um, postpartum mental health disorders, like it it can really, really reinforce mental health longevity during that time. And so um, studies show that even a four to five chunk of sleep, like a solid chunk of sleep can assist in making sure that folks aren't at risk for um, postpartum mental health disorders. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I mean, if you think about it, even from the perspective of uh, not being a birthing person, Mm-hmm. In, in your daily life, sometimes everything gets too overwhelming. And if you yes. have this tiny little chance where, say, you get a few hours off of work or you get off work mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. or, you know, a plan gets canceled and you have yeah. that tiny extra chunk of time to be able to reset, mm-hmm. um, that can drastically change the way your week goes, your month goes. Yeah. And yeah. to then put it in the context of like you're running on literally like no sleep. And Mm -hmm. everything's new and everything Mm -hmm. is, even if, even if you're, it's not your first child, you're still going through the experience from a new standpoint and a new lens and every experience Mm -hmm. is going to be different. And then to have someone step in and say, okay, like, can I, what, what laundry do you, do you take? And I, I I I listened to, I listened to a podcast of a, a doula chatting about, There was even like one point where she had a client and she said like, you know, do you want to shower? Like I can go run a shower for you and like get an essential oil diffuser going and like, you know what I mean? Like get it not even just like practical, but get it relaxing and like just Mm -hmm. give you a moment to like get clean and feel better about yourself. And it was just like, like, thank God. It it really is like the simple things that help make the bigger things livable, right? And so post when I do postpartum work, I walk into someone's house and I remind people I am there for the family, but I'm there for the birthing person because there's also this like emotional volcano happening that um, unless you are directly asked, like, how are you doing? Like, what are you, what's going on in there? 
Um, those are tears and like feelings that would stay inside of a body that's trying to sustain life on the outside. Um, and so I walk in and I say, what would feel nourishing today for you? And I've been told I want to shower and I want to cut my nails. Like literally just like, I just want to not hold my baby. I've heard, I just want to walk outside and put my hands in the dirt in my garden. I've heard, um, I just want to go for a walk with my partner and drink some coffee. Um, I've heard, I want to sleep and I don't want to hold my baby or hear my baby. Like, so all like the gamut of like the simple requests that I think we need to normalize as like the life sustaining ones, right? Like these are people who are starting a new generation in their family. And that is like, you're bringing someone to consciousness. Like that's nothing to take lightly. And if you can't even take care of yourself, how can you support like the well-being and vitality of a new life? Um, Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And to have someone like you come into that situation and I'm sure it's so life-giving to even just have validation in that, where if you're having a thought that might have a lot of shame around it, or mm-hmm. you're not feeling like you're deserving of being able to take a break. I'm sure having yeah. someone to kind of come in from the outside and say, no, it's okay. And like, it's okay that you had that thought or whatever. And yeah. to have a validation, a sense of validation there, I'm sure is like totally changes the narrative as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think as a, uh, as a community, as community members, like we have lost uh, that ancestral knowledge of how to take care of each other um, and how to take care of new families. Most people don't even know what that actually means. And it's actually very simple. It's going into people's homes and it's more complicated with COVID, but it's going into people's homes. It's taking their trash out. It's cleaning their toilets. It's cleaning out their fridge, emptying their dishwasher, loading it up, taking their pet for a walk, holding their baby so that they don't have to. And asking them how the fuck they're doing. Like, it's really simple. And we have not, we've been so far removed from birth that we don't even have birth as a normalized concept in our brains. And so how could we understand, you know, with the intensity of birth, how could we understand the intensity of postpartum? Like, how could we? And so my my hope right. in this work is to like bring back that that knowledge like that that bone and blood knowledge that we have of how to caretake each other because the reason the reason why like the earth is not healthy is because we don't know how to take care of birthing people like that's it there's a connection there like when birthing people are healthy families are healthy and when families are healthy communities are healthy and when communities are healthy the world is healthy and that's not happening right, right. now yeah Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's, yeah, there is such a emphasis put on independence. And so Mm -hmm. often in society, you have this shame or this guilt when you do ask for help and it can be just like gut wrenching to feel like you need to go to someone and say, Hey, I need help. And even I I've gone through a lot of financial up and ups and downs in the last few years and having to go to like my family, like tail between my legs and be like, I need Mm -hmm. help as an adult financially Mm -hmm. was like, I I felt gross. Like I felt gross. And my family Mm -hmm. is like so welcoming and supportive, but like this, Mm -hmm. like I've just been taught that like receiving help is kind of icky and it almost downplays your strength or makes you seem like as weak. When in Mm -hmm. reality, like it takes a lot of courage to be able to show vulnerability and go to someone and say, Hey, I need help. And then also 
maybe don't wait for someone to ask for you to help them. If you see someone mm-hmm. floundering or you see someone struggling, go to them mm-hmm. and say, hey, how yeah. can I help you? <laughs> Versus yeah. waiting for the person who's going through a major life change to have the time, courage, energy, et cetera, to totally. go to you and ask for help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that that burden also falls to to the new families because when I'm working with clients, I ask them like, how would you feel asking a friend to clean your toilet? And they are like, absolutely not. And I'm like, then how are you going to ask them for help when you're drowning? Like, you really need to get clear about your shit. Because like, while people will say, let me know if you need anything, you're not going to know what that anything is when you're sleep deprived. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important. And this actually is a great transition here into educating and understanding as a society how do we approach birth and how mm-hmm. do we support birthing people and families who have just experienced birth and welcome someone into their family? Because, mm-hmm. um, or even someone who, you know, just adopted and is welcoming mm-hmm. a kid into their family that you're still going through all those, uh, you're still going to have sleep deprivation. You're still going to have a lot of that. And yeah. it, a lot of the times society just doesn't know how to help in that. Um, And I think it's such a foreign concept to walk into someone's house and immediately be like, hey, can I take out your trash? Mm -hmm. It's so foreign to so many people. And that's Mm -hmm. that's such like a wild thing to think of. But as a society, what would you what would your advice be to people Mm -hmm. um, to help and support people going through a birth or postpartum or, you know, being able to Mm -hmm. walk with them in that journey and support them without waiting for them to kind of say, Hey, here's what I need. Yeah. Um, I think one thing is making doula support accessible. So paying for or putting money into a doula fund for a family member or a friend, um, asking them like, are you going to hire a doula? And if they are chipping in to help pay for it, right? Cause you're not only sustaining them and their family, but you're helping to pay a birth worker, a livable wage, um, a lot of birth workers don't make livable wages. Um, and it's uh, very, very, like, very, very hard work to to be a doula. Like you are putting your life on hold and being on call for long periods of time and losing sleep and compromising your own health, like for for families. And so um, making making that accessible for everybody, I think, is important. And I think like getting out of the mindset that going into your friend's house to clean their toilet is a wild concept. Like, can we like, can we actually just think about how like going into someone's house to do something for them that they wouldn't have to do that would then give them what, like 15 more minutes of life to live, especially like in a capitalistic society, right? Like we, we don't often consider what it means to take care of each other so that like we're not outsourcing our care to something that like doesn't give us the same oxytocin hit and rush, doesn't give us the same like dopamine, like doesn't give us those same things when someone intentionally does something to care for us. Like even thinking about how that triggers love hormones in our body and helps with like even decreasing cortisol levels in our body, like being people centered and being community centered. Um, I think like asking our elders and our um, the older people in our families, like birthing stories, like what's their birthing story? What's your parents? Um, your, if you have birth parents, what are your birth parents birthing stories? What's your birth story? Because I think when we can get to that place of understanding how we got here, 
or understanding how our family members got here, we have a better understanding of what makes people people. We have a better understanding of um, intergenerational trauma. So people who haven't healed from their birth trauma and their birth experiences, whether that's emotionally or physically, um, it gives you such a better understanding and a better lens of where people are coming from. And when we can understand the the things that were at play at our own birth, it really does actually inform so much about who we are and how we live our lives. Um, and I think it's a really it's a family heirloom. I think birth stories are family heirlooms. I think that it's important to know um, how you got here, who cared for your parents and uh, when you were a newborn and how did that hinder their ability to care for you? Um, how did that impact their relationship if your parents are still together or not together? So like all of these different things. And when you talk about like families who are adopting and bringing in kiddos into their families or babies into their families, I think that the the biggest thing around all of that is connecting people to community resources. So here in Seattle, for example, we have a, an organization called Amara that helps folks with adoption counseling and helps them through the process of applying all the way to bringing their kiddo home and after. And so people need to know that there's community education options out there and that there's community support out there. Because like, what does it mean when the person who supported you postpartum lives like two neighborhoods over and you run into them at the grocery store? Like what kind of community threads can we tie together so that like living within community and living in community is not only more sustainable, but it's personal, right? Like it's not transactional, it's transformational. And I think like that's, that's what I'm trying to move towards and help people understand is like, how do we have more transformational interactions with each other? Um, rather than transactional ones. Um, so that's my answer to that question. Yeah, no, I think that's so valid. And I think that there is such a lack of community in general. I, mm-hmm. I have not really experienced living in like a community aside from like a religious community, which mm-hmm. brought there a whole lot of shit that came with that in itself. Yeah. But um I, I, I've really, like, that's something that I've always, like, envied, seeing, like, mm-hmm. really small towns mm-hmm. that they're, everyone knows each other and everyone, you know, someone just randomly brings over dinner. It's like, mm-hmm. that looks so cool. And I've yeah. always lived in bigger cities. I lived in Tacoma for most of my childhood, and then mm-hmm. I'm now in Seattle as well. And <laughs> that's pretty, pretty, pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um And a lot of times people just don't look like they want to talk to you (laughs) or have anything to do with you. And it can be, it's, I think it would be so beneficial on all platforms of life Mm -hmm. to be able to have um, community. I mean, think about how many people feel lonely and feel like they're walking things by themselves. But Mm -hmm. you hear about, oh, I feel so by myself. I'm, I'm so lonely. I'm having such a hard time. And in reality, like we're surrounded by people and we're surrounded mm-hmm. by people that very well could be going through similar things or have gone through similar things and might be able to share um, mm-hmm. advice or support or love or intentionality. And yeah. yet we so often just feel entirely alone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I I agree that so much of that has come from just this obsession with independence and moving towards yeah. this independent lifestyle that – I think it's harmed us more than it's helped us. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's separated us from each other. Like it's, it's separated us from, from being in right relationship with each other and like, and healing, like healing old patterns and old family shit. Like we can't do that alone. 
We can't do that alone. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we're kind of ending the – or nearing the end of our time here. But um, mm-hmm. I did want to touch on um, specifically black birth mm-hmm. and um, why it's important to um, advocate and try to financially support mm-hmm. – um, doula work and Mm -hmm. birth support in black communities. And I wanted to kind of just end with chatting about that and Mm -hmm. getting your take on why that is so important. Yeah. So um, like I said earlier, um, in the black community, maternal mortality and um, infant mortality is four times higher than in any other community. Um, Native communities have a little bit higher rates. Um, they're just getting lost in the data. And that's another violent tactic. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I always like to say that because I think that's important. And I think it's really important for us to be in solidarity with each other because um, nobody's yeah. free until until we're free. So, um, yeah, that's that's not a statistic that's really publicly shared. No. Yeah, it's not. And I mean, it, it continues to perpetuate the the entire um, the entire genocide of of our Native communities and how it continues to happen right. in different ways. but. Um, I think one of the things that I'll just say is, you know, if if you're tuned into the birth community and the, the conversations that are happening there, it's that um, black birthing people are not heard. Uh, historically, medical schools have trained um, obstetricians and nurses and practitioners to believe that um, black people feel less pain than um, other people. And so if you translate that to birth, um, you have people who are telling you that something is not right and care providers who are not listening, or you have people who come in postpartum, like, you know, really like maybe two or three days postpartum saying something doesn't feel right and they're not heard, they're sent home, they're not getting the adequate testing that they need, and then they die um, or their babies die. And so doula support is really important here because, again, people need to know what their rights are and what their options are. But especially if you are walking into a system in a situation where the odds are already stacked against you because of people's bias or their ignorance. And so um, it's really important to financially support the Black birthing community and Black birth workers and supporting um, Black student midwives who are trying to move into those places because it's really hard for them to even become midwives um, because this is a threat to our community. It's a threat to um, the babies in our community. It's a threat to the birthing people in our community. And this country has historically for decades tried to kill the black family. Um, you have the industri- the prison industrial complex that's trying to kill and detain the black man. And now you have um, black birthing people in the hospitals who are dying. So folks with uteruses and wombs who are dying. Um And this continues to break up the Black family, and this can go all the way back to slavery when Black families were separated um, on the slave blocks. So um, I think it's really important to understand, like, our history. Um, Midwifery in itself is something that has really been commodified, but midwifery started at the hands of Black and Indigenous folks who were catching babies um, in the Southern, um, in the United States, specifically in the South. Um, and obstetrics was has only been around for about 100 years when you really think about it. Um, obstetrics came on the scene and um, basically outlawed midwifery. Um, and it took midwifery out of the hands of the community and said, you have to have this licensure and this certification. And then they blocked them from coming in and getting what they already knew. 
Um, and so this violence and this tactic has moved into um, the hospitals. It's moved into doula education. So doula education and doula work is also commodified. Um, and so it's, it's just really important to understand how one capitalism and two systemic racism play a role um, in, in these scenarios. Um, and so the more that people can crowdsource and community fund these efforts, um, the more lives will be saved, plain and simple. And so um, people, I, I don't use this term lightly, but this really is life or death, like funding Black birth workers, funding um, Black families and allowing them to have adequate birth and postpartum support is life or death for us. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that answers your question, um, but it's definitely something yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, that definitely answers my question. And I think that that's really beneficial information to share mm -hmm. because I, I only learned of that, the, the great discrepancy and the great gap between white birth and black birth in the past like two years. And I was just mm -hmm. like, I was, I was like in awe of the fact that this had not been talked about more and that I hadn't mm -hmm. heard about it. And I was mm -hmm. just like, why is this not like, like, why are we not being taught this in school? Like, it was just mm -hmm. like, it, it blew my mind. Um, but yeah, I, um, for this episode, for the listeners, um, I will post some resources for, um, not only supporting you, but also supporting, um, other foundations that work towards, um, you know, amplifying educational resources, training doulas. Um, I know black mama's matter Alliance is one that I'm aware mm -hmm. of that does a lot of that work. Um, but, um, I will post some resources on that as well, but, um, thank you so much for, for being here today, for taking the yeah. time out of your day to have this conversation. I feel like it'll be very beneficial and even just help people, whether they're, they've been through birth, whether they want to go through birth, whether they mm -hmm. are just trying to be better humans and help people alongside them. I think it'll just be beneficial all around. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just wanted to give you a space to plug anything that you'd like to plug, to chat about, you know, your page, your business, and mm. um, just share a little bit about your your work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Rooted Birth Doula. Um, my website is www.bornrooted.com. Um, and I have a, uh, fund for black birthing bodies that I started, um, last May that has raised, um, a, a significant amount of money to be able to support black families in particular in the Puget Sound. Um, so far I've been able to support oh 19 goodness. families. Yeah, it's been really awesome. Um, I've been able to support 19 families at no cost, um, to them and, wow. um, yeah, and people can continue to give there. I've also been able to pay other doulas in the community to do that work with Black families as well. So doulas who usually particularly do pro bono work, um, we've been able to get them fully funded. And so it's been a really amazing community effort. Um, but folks can you um, go to that page on my website um, to donate. Um, you can also... Um, find me that's all actually that's the only place you can find me i'm only on instagram <laughs> um but yeah i um it's kind of the only one that's, that's yeah i know still We're doing anything <laughs> yeah totally um but yeah i i welcome people to reach out with questions and to just reach out if you're an aspiring doula or aspiring birth worker midwife or lactation counselor anything like that um i'm happy to talk with people to kind of help them get started in their journey because it, it is a push but it is a calling so yeah. Thank you for the opportunity yeah. to come and chat. 
Yeah, for sure. And I know that this, uh, a lot of my listeners are in the Puget Sound area because a lot of my listeners are people that know me. Um, Mm -hmm. But for those people who, you know, maybe are trying to get pregnant or are already pregnant and are looking for a doula, Mm -hmm. is I'm assuming that that's how they would try to, you know, have you as their doula is via your website. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and you can also go to doulamatch.net and find um, find a doula who's a good fit for you based on your due date and their availability. Um, but that's another great resource that people can use. And then birthforthepeople.com if you identify as BIPOC, um, so Black, Indigenous, or a person of color. Um, that website um, helps people find uh, birth workers of color in the Puget Sound area as well. Awesome. That's great to know. Well, thank you so much. Um, As always, I will put all of that in the episode notes, and I'll also post those resources on Instagram um, when this episode drops so that everyone has access to that. But um, thank you so much for coming on, and I I really do appreciate it. I've learned a lot just in the past, you know, 58 (laughs) minutes. But but yeah, so that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. And to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath. And remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will see you guys next week.